0: And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money. Markets. Life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts.
1: Presented by RIA Advisors. Hey, good morning. Welcome to the show. It is, of course, the first Monday of October. Finally getting that third quarter behind us. Uh, Of course, you know, the month of September lived up to its name, of course, being one of the worst trading months of the year. And that's exactly what it turned out to be. Uh, Markets continued their sell-off in August, really from about mid-August, you know, through September. Uh, Pretty brutal sell-off. Markets setting new lows for the year. And this is after uh, that very strong run back in June. So, you know, it's always important to keep a little bit of perspective uh, as well in markets. You know, when you get to these points, everybody's very upset. Um, very bearish on the markets of course everybody's talking about you know kind of what's going to happen next remember we were just at this very same type of mentality back in June around June the 15th we were talking about record bearishness on the markets we were talking about record deviations to the downside in terms of stock prices three standard deviations below 50day moving averages and all these type of you know very bearish indicators both fundamental and technical etc and at that point, Things were pretty negative in the markets and we were saying then, hey, be careful here, you don't want to sell at this point, I know you're down, I know it's a bit rough here, Uh, everybody's just kind of worn out, but this is where you typically get a fairly decent counter trend rally in the markets and of course, you know, then we take off in July and August, of course, have this big rally, Jim Cramer on CBC coming out, claiming the bear market bottom is in and we're done. And of course, uh, you know, at the peak of this market, everybody's back to being bullish. You know, we're here to talk about all-time highs and and a lot of other stuff in the markets. Of course, that was the peak there. And since then, we've had a fairly brutal decline, giving up all those gains uh, and a little bit more here. So, you know, again, this is what bear markets do. They will literally just wear you out. And the goal for a bear market is eventually to get you to sell. Uh, So, you know, bear market rallies are great. They suck a lot of investors back in. That's what happened. And then, of course, now, you know, all those people are now under a lot of pressure here. So, uh, again, you know, don't let, you know, this bear market force you into making decisions that often work out to be, you know, not so great for your portfolio. Um, We are through the third quarter, thankfully. Uh, The Atlanta Fed GDP now came out on the 30th of the month. um, And that was on Friday marking their GDP estimate for the third quarter big surge it was half a percent uh, last Monday and on Friday after the economic reports had come out personal spending consumption etc that jumped to a 2.4 percent growth rate for the second quarter so just a very very large jump in the data right there at the end of the month so again this third quarter GDP report will come in uh, should show us a little bit of growth in the third quarter. Now, this is following two negative quarters of growth in the economy. Of course, you know, a lot of commentary, you know, in, in the media, right? Two quarters, uh, may, that means you're in a recession. We've been saying, no, that, that's not no, not necessarily the case. Um, you know, we had a lot of inventory issues at the beginning of this year that was dragging on growth. Not surprising, it's a little bit of pop now and, and potentially as we get into the fourth quarter of economic activity because, again, uh, pin-up demand is one thing, but then also we're into the bigger shopping seasons of the year. Of course, you know, Halloween, one of the, the biggest shopping days of the year, right? Buying, you know, Halloween costumes for their dogs. Um, but moving into the end of the year, now once we get into to January, February, March of next year, that's where the real risk of recession is going to kick in. As all these Fed rate hikes start to really weigh on the economy, that's where those are going to start to show up. But in the near term, The fourth quarter of the year tends to be a little bit better for stocks. October marks the beginning of the seasonally strong period for the year. Doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be the case. It just means statistically stocks tend to trade better in the last three months of the year. There's a few reasons for this. One, again, economic data tends to improve. So again, that tends to give stocks a little bit of a lift here. Secondly, a lot of pension funds now, mutual funds, et cetera, lots, you know, underwater, lots of cash. they got to get that money reallocated by the end of the year because they report in the fourth quarter uh, for their annual results. And so when they put out their fourth quarter annual report, they need to make sure that A, they have all their money invested that they're billing on, and B, they're in the right positions of the market. So that all provides a little bit of lift to markets. And again, after a very negative you know, half of August and and month of September, uh, certainly wouldn't be a surprise here to see a bit of a reflexive rally in the market. So again, you want to use that, though. Um, Any rally back to around 4,000 on the S&P probably be a good good opportunity to, to lift some exposure, rebalance some risk. I just kind of caution you right now, yes, there's a lot of pressure in the markets. Lots and lots of very negative sentiment in the markets right now. And it certainly doesn't mean, Don't and don't mistake what I'm saying, we're very deviated from the 50-day moving average right now on a short-term basis. Um, as always, moving averages tend to act like gravity, and, and eventually, you know, more prices tend to revert back to those moving averages over time. It's kind of like a magnet. And so the further we get away from the magnet, you know, that, that pull, um, wants to pull those prices back towards those moving averages. So again, a rally here back to 38, 3900 on the SP. Good opportunity, lift a little exposure, uh, rebalance some cash. You know, rebalance your positions, your risk and your portfolios, uh, because we're not likely through the risk here, and the risk is mounting that potentially something is starting to kind of break in the markets. Now, you know, we we, we heard a lot about the Bank of England last week. We touched on that in this weekend's newsletter. Bank of Japan has been a problem. Credit Suisse has problems. Um, and we're starting to see some of those kind of same cracks in the foundation showing up here in, in the US markets as well. Credit spreads are rising. We're starting to see some of those early impacts. Volatility has been picking up. So we are starting to see that just a bit. Um, and so again, the question is, is, when does the Fed stop hiking these very aggressive rate hikes and starting to t- as taper off? on some of their more aggressive language. We may see that sooner than later, but for, for right now, uh, again, just be a little cautious here. Try not to, you know, kind of panic sell lows. Last Friday was a tough day. A lot of kind of first inclination after looking at the kind of the devastation over the weekend um, is, is to, to make a knee-jerk reaction. And say, I just got to get out of the markets. Just be a little bit careful here because again, we're kind of at those levels where normally you get a bit of a, of a reflexive trade in the markets overall. So again, just saying that. Now, a couple of things coming up that are going to be interesting to watch. Today is a FOM, it's a it's a Federal Reserve Governor's meeting, and they're having it at 1130 today. Uh, this is an expedited meeting. Now, it's a closed door expedited meeting, and the, the Board of Governors meetings are a regularly scheduled events. So normally it's just kind of general order of the business. Everybody's watching this one today as to see if there is something done in terms of trying to quell some of the strength in the U.S. dollar, maybe reopening dollar swap lines, doing something like this, uh, where the Fed is going to, to start to work with trying to bring down that strength of the dollars we've talked about before that very strong dollar is weighing on foreign economies making their economies even worse than what they're dealing with with just having to deal with high energy prices and high electricity costs they're also dealing with high commodity prices because of the dollar exchange rate between their currencies and the U.S. dollar of course all commodities traded in dollars so it puts additional pressure on those economies and when the dollar spikes very quickly it's really very painful so one of the things that everybody's kind of watching on day, nobody knows what this meeting's about right it's just a, an expedited closed door meeting and it's a regular meeting of the federal uh, of the governors uh, of the board of governors for the federal reserve so it could be a nothing burger right but everybody's going to be watching this meeting at 11:30 today see what happens but is that you know everybody's like is this the moment where the fed makes a pivot lots and lots of pressure right now on the fed to do something of course by the way midterm elections coming up in 36 days. So again, (laughs) this right here, this decline is not great for midterms either. So we'll see if uh, the political pressure is gonna get to Jerome Powell as well. All right, when we come back from the break, futures are pointing up this morning, not surprising after last week. We're gonna talk about recession fatigue and what that means and what's going on. Don't go away, more The Real Investment Show coming right up.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls.
2: What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special Ladies' Edition Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next Ladies' Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso realinvestmentadvice.com. the
0: real investment show
1: show this morning so again uh recession fatigue is 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 an interesting comment because there was a study out this morning um from bank actually i shouldn't say this morning it was over the weekend but from uh, bankrate.com talking about americans are suffering from recession fatigue and and it's kind of an interesting statement when you consider that we really haven't got into the recession just yet um at least from the National Bureau of Economic Research point, right? So, you know, you know, at this point, you know, there's been a lot of talk, again, as we, you know, said just a few moments ago. In the first two quarters of the year, we had negative GDP growth due to a lot of uh, inventory issues. Uh, third quarter is going to show a fairly sharp rebound on that economic growth on an annualized basis. Fourth quarter will likely be positive as well. So that's going to put to, to bed, you know, these ideas of a, of a recession, at least temporarily. Uh, The risk of a recession, as we've stated before, really lies in, in 2023 because of the Federal Reserve hiking interest rates, as we've talked about before. When you have both the combination of rising interest rates and a rising dollar, those have typically corresponded with either economic recessions, bear markets, or some type of economic event. And so it certainly won't be a surprise because of the lag effect that monetary policy has on the economy. And, and, you know, one of the things that's always stated is like stocks always do well when the Federal Reserve is hiking interest rates. And that's true. Generally, stocks are in an uptrend as the Fed begins to hike interest rates. And it seems like stocks continue to advance while, you know, the Fed's hiking interest rates to the point that something breaks and then stocks don't go up anymore. And, and there's a problem economically. And, and that generally takes, you know, 9, 12, 18 months before that happens. That's because of that lag effect in policy, right? If, you know, I do a rate hike today, it doesn't show up for six months, as an example. If I do another rate hike three months from now, then that's not going to show up for six months after that. And, and so there's the stack-up of these monetary policy increases, and 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 those increases are designed to slow economic activity. So as you know, as things are moving forward, there's this increase, and, and the Fed keeps hiking rates. And again, the Fed's been hiking rates at one of the fastest uh, paces um, since the 1980s. That those are starting to kind of just lay on top of each other, and their impact hasn't been felt in the economy yet because it's going to take time. And, and so the the combined impact of those rate hikes will really show up in 2023 so you know the 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 bigger risk of a real recession right one where you see unemployment rising and jobless claims etc that's all still coming but it was interesting that you know and having said that what's interesting here is that americans are suffering from recession fatigue now this is again it's interesting because jobs are good, right? I mean, take a look at the unemployment numbers, right? Those are good. Jobless claims are are rel- relatively low. Now, the only thing that's kind of sucks right now is that prices are high because of inflation. But but again, that's not that's not technically a recession, right? So, but Americans are are, are tired of the recession, right? They've already got recession fatigue, not because they actually fear or are actually in a recession is because they're tired of hearing about the damn thing, right? Because that's all that's been in the media as of late. As we've said before, you know, one of the most interesting aspects of the cycle that we're in right now is that if we do have a recession, and I want to say that, you know, if we do have a recession, it will be the most forecasted recession ever in history. Nobody ever predicts a recession in the media you know, ahead of time. It's something that always takes a while to get in. And and so this will be one of those times where when the National Bureau of Economic Research says, you know, hey, the recession started here, but going to go, yep, that was, that was pretty much right. Again, you know, in 2008, December of 2008, after the financial crisis, after Lehman, after... Uh, the the complete destruction of the housing market. The National Bureau of Re- Economic Research comes out and go, yeah, yeah, that recession has started a year earlier in December 2007. Nobody, and during that entire you know process, you know Ben Bernanke was going, oh, it's uh, it, you know, it's you know, subprime's contained, it's a Goldilocks economy, not too hot, not too cold, it's all perfect. And of course, everybody else is like, are you crazy? You know, the we're we're losing our house here. That's a recession. Actually, that's a depression. But You know, again, this time, Americans are suffering from this fatigue. I'll just read to you from this uh, uh, survey that was out from uh, Bankrate. It was just quite interesting. Recession, depression, recession, fatigue, whatever you want to call it, that hits Americans' financial security uh, keep on coming. First, with the devastating coronavirus pandemic, followed by 40-year high inflation, and now the growing risk of another downturn. This was from Bankrate.com. Now, I'm not sure that's exactly right. And the reason I say that is, is because, you know, you had, yes, you had the coronavirus downturn and then we sent checks to everybody and everybody and then we had a, just a rip roaring bull market. And, and there were certainly no signs of re- recession fatigue in 2020, 2021. But, hey, we'll just go with the story for a moment. <laughs> you know, uh, if there was any fatigue, it was just from being locked up in your house. Right. Sustaining motivation for two plus years to prepare for tough economic times can no doubt feel exhausting. Again, uh, not a lot of pressure to prepare for, for tough times over the last couple of years. Investors were doing exactly the opposite. They were gambling their brains out in the stock market, right? You know, so you were getting these checks from households. People are jumping online to Robinhood and buying you know, meme stocks, speculating in cryptocurrencies, etc. Now, you know, again... Uh, and going out and spending money, right? we had this huge demand increase in the economy, from used cars to houses to everything else, because of all this free money, right? More importantly, I could buy a house or, or rent an apartment or whatever, and then not have to pay for it. I could just declare, you know just fall under the moratoriums that were all out there at the time. I' get a forbearance on my I'd buy a house and get a forbearance on my mortgage almost immediately right can 't afford to pay for it, even though I bought it. But there was no incentive to save, right. And it's really hard to say that there's recession fatigue in the last two years. Now, this year's a different story because all of that excess is now being wrung out of the markets. But, again, I'll just, this is Bankrate's story, so I'll just comment as we go here. Quote, this isn't a fault of people, says Bankrate.com, so much as response to the overwhelming amount of stress put on them By the economy, people have spent two and a half years managing a global pandemic, uncertain financial futures, political turmoil, and growing inflation. At some point, people run out of the will to make good choices for their futures. Now, look, I'll agree. Look, you know, for the last two years, one thing that we've had is just a a political upheaval, you know, between social media and news flows, et cetera. Just, you know, this big division in the country. That's just exhausted a lot of people, but... You know, that is really far different than the financial stability of households, which, again, because of $5 trillion worth of liquidity, households actually were some of the best off that we've had in the last few years. Savings rates jumped markedly. Now, they've spent it all. They did pay off some credit cards temporarily. Now, they've run those credit cards back up. And that shows in the numbers. Uh, Nearly a quarter of American households, according to Bankrate, 25% 25% of American households have no emergency savings at all. Um, the, another 28% have some savings, but not enough to cover three months of expenses. Another 22% says savings could cover three to five months worth of expenses. So now if you think about that for just a moment. So, you know, that's um, 50, uh, 73% of the economy right now have enough savings to cover zero to five months of expenses, right? That's not a lot. Only 27% have enough savings to cover six months or more of expenses. You know, so, so again, not surprising here because, you know, the, in, the motivation for individuals when they got free money from the government was to go out and spend it. Everybody was, uh, you know, going out to Home Depot, you know, right in the middle of the pandemic, right? We're all supposed to be locked down in our houses with our mask on and afraid to talk to anybody because of this terrible pandemic that's sweeping the the, the nation. But yet you go to the Home Depot or Lowe's and it was jam packed with people buying stuff to fix up their house or, you know, buy a lawnmower or whatever it was. Right. So, you know. There was no incentive to save because we were kind of all locked up in our houses and we were giving all these free checks and we had more torn. We'd have to pay rent, right? So if, if and I didn't have to pay my student loan debt. So that even gave me more money to spend. So I wasn't having to spend the money I was getting to, to, to pay the debts I owed, right? I just had money to spend. And so they were either gambling it online, literally gambling it online uh, through online gambling services. But a lot of people, because they couldn't bet on sports, were betting on stocks. Now, unfortunately, a lot of those have reversed and a lot of, a ton of money has been lost in the markets because of that. But, you know, when broken down by generation, younger adults and Gen Zers are more likely to experience recession fatigue compared to millennials, Gen Xers and baby boomers. They're also the group that tend to say the pandemic interrupted their formative years and feel slighted by a short lived hot vac summer. Foster said, recession fatigue is an awkward cousin of revenge spending. She said Americans were deprived of so many activities that bought, brought them joy. It's kind of like financial apathy. Um, you know, and again, these are all just really poor excuses for really just a, a lack of financial responsibility by you know, individuals. And you know, we're always trying to come, and this is the problem, you know, we don't teach individuals how to manage money financially. And then we come up with excuses on why they do things It's like, well, you know, they spent all this money and now they're back in in, in record credit card debt because, you know, they didn't save the money that we gave them. Right. And that wasn't the reason we gave them money. Why did we send checks to households? Because we knew that they would spend it. The reason that we sent checks to households is because we knew they would spend it in the economy that would help boost economic growth. And it did. We had a huge surge in economic activity. At a time when you had no supply, which is now why you have 40-year high inflation. So it really isn't recession fatigue. It's inflation fatigue. Come back from the break. Something's about to break in the markets, and we'll talk about it. Don't go away.
0: Real Investment Advice blog. It's required reading for the informed investor. Catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go, girls.
2: What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special Ladies' Edition Lunch and Learn What Women Need from Social Security. Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next Ladies' Lunch and Learn. What Women Need from Social Security. Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon, with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: You're listening to The Real Investment Show.
1: So, just with break, talking a little bit about recession fatigue and and really a misstatement by Bankrate in their survey. Again, you know, the recession fatigue didn't start two years ago. Maybe the lockdown fatigue did. And uh, of course, now kind of all the you know backlash of that is starting to show up, um, and, and varieties of of outlooks and sentiment. And again, this is going to be a, an interesting midterm election coming up, right? The current administration is. Facing, uh, you know, the highest inflation in 40 years, um, an economic downturn, uh, lots of pressure on households, and, you know, of course, just, you know, just kind of the combined backlash of all the stuff that was done over the last couple of years. Historically, if this was a presidential election coming up, and it's not, it's a midterm election. Um, but if it was a presidential election, presidents don't normally survive this type of environment. Now, the good news for Biden is is that he's got two years and will be past this economic downturn uh, before the next presidential election. So, you know, the, the fortunate thing for the the current president is that the downturn will be a will be past him most likely. By the time we get to the next election cycle, and the economy will be on a mend. Now it's assuming that somebody doesn't really mess stuff up between now and then. But normally downturns, recessions like this, last between you know twelve and eighteen months. So we know where we've already been this and through a rough six. Um, you know, so you throw another twelve on it to get to eighteen. It's through next year, right? So there you go. Um, but you know the problem or the risk is is that something breaks economically that takes far longer to repair. And again, we've talked about the sugar rush economy and the problem of injecting trillions of dollars into the economy is that unless you're committed to keep doing that, the eventual crash from the sugar rush of all that liquidity is going to have a pretty nasty payback, and that's what's happened. And we've still got more to go with that. And and now the Fed is hiking rates at the most aggressive pace on record. And we've been talking about the risk of something breaking, and something has broken, by the way, right? The Bank of the Bank of England having to reverse course, trying to bail out pension funds, the Bank of Japan, of course. Uh credit Suisse is you know, just has gotten hit by everything, right? That they just, you know, they got involved with, you know multiple bankruptcies bad investments etc and they just continue to have have problems and now what's happening in europe is certainly starting to weigh on that and again higher interest rates and and a strong dollar have, have have really exacerbated a lot of the problems and and the big risk are is that because you have a big spike in interest rates or you have a big spike in in the dollar there's a lot of trades placed against those things and, and, you know, what, what happens is, and let's go back to 2008 for an example. Everybody's issuing out these adjustable rate mortgages and, and subprime mortgages and everything else back in 2005 and 6 and 7, and, and those were based on kind of the long-term historical models that interest rates never do these certain things. And as long as these interest rates don't do a certain thing, these models should work fine, and the way these mortgages are structured, they should all all be fine over time, right? Well, the problem is is that those models failed, and everything just broke, and that's what happens from time to time. These these you know these once in one hundred year events that happen every couple of years. That was one of them. You know. Interest rates had never done that thing when it came to mortgages, ever. So the odds of something going terribly wrong were extremely minute. It'd be a a once-in-a-thousand-year event if it occurred. Well, it occurred. And so when you're looking at the Fed hiking interest rates at the most aggressive pace on record, the dollar going up extremely sharply, there's a lot of trades that are traded off models that say, volatility of rates or this or that or another thing have never done this before. And as long as this, that, or the other thing doesn't reach some certain level, the trade that I've got put on the books, which is billions of dollars, by the way, will be fine. The problem is is that interest rates, the dollar, are starting to break these long-term historical models and that's the risk and you don't know exactly where it is right at you know 3.5 percent on the 10-year treasury everything is fine at 3.6 percent, i'm I'm just picking numbers by the way i'm not saying these are the numbers i'm just making an example but this is this is how sensitive these things are at 3.5 percent everything is fine at 3.6 percent they're not So when you push that point that something breaks, things tend to break quickly. And this is the one big problem for the Federal Reserve. And and again, the dollar has been an exacerbation to monetary tightening. Again, you know, the Fed's over here hiking interest rates. And they're saying, look, I've got inflation here and I've got economic growth over here. And I'm going to hike rates at a certain pace and I'm going to tighten monetary policy. And that's going to bring my inflation down. But because I've got this strong employment environment, the economy should be OK. Well, in a vacuum, that's probably true. If the Fed was the only thing happening in the overall market, that was probably a true idea. The problem is, is they're hiking rates, the dollar shooting off to the moon. And you've got interest rates on the long end of the curve rising as well. So... It's not just the Federal Reserve tightening monetary policy. The market is tightening monetary policy, too, at a very aggressive pace, which tends to lead to issues where things go awry in the marketplace. And I thought this uh, Nick Timrose, who we've quoted here on the show before, he's kind of the Fed whisperer. He put out a tweet over the weekend. He said, Greg Mankiw, who is a a really good economist, and I love love to read his stuff because (laughs) he and I agree on one thing, that Paul Krugman is a hack, (laughs) right? (laughs) Greg Mankiw endorses Paul Krugman's view that the Fed might be tightening policy too aggressively. This is something we've been talking about for the last couple of months on the show. This was his tweet. When I was young, Paul Krugman was one of my favorite economists. I would try to read everything he wrote, which was a lot. At some point, however, roughly coinciding with his becoming a regular New York Times columnist. Uh, This is about 2008. Um, He became a a, uh, he switched from writing as an economist to writing more as a political pundit. I then lost interest. His political commentary struck me as repetitive, slightly unhinged. Conservatives are stupid. Conservatives are evil. Yada, yada, yada. Yet his column yesterday caught my eye. Is the Fed breaking too hard? And I've been pondering that question myself. And this is something that we've been writing about for several weeks. And the issue is, is that, yes, the Fed is breaking too hard. And the fact that when you have the rate of increase in interest rates, that the Fed has been advocating and doing here as of late, you are going to break something. Because, again, there's too many things, there's too much debt in the economy that is dependent upon low rates, whether it is corporations in the Russell 2000 that need to refinance debt in order to service their debt. That's what we call zombie companies or it's just American households needing to borrow some money to make ends meet, that rate of increase in rates is increasing the debt service requirements, which extracts more capital from their disposable income just to service their debt. And now, coming up at the end of the year, guess what? All those student loan payments that have been deferred now for the last two years or so are all coming back. People are having to pay their rents again. People are having to catch up on, you know, back mortgage payments because of moratoriums, those type of things. So, again, there's, there's all these other—it's not just the Fed hiking rates. It's the Fed hiking rates plus all of these other things that are coming home to roost that are extracting capital from the consumer at a very rapid pace that limits their ability to consume within the economy— which 70% of the economy is basically driven by consumption. So there's your problem of the recession that's coming. And then the bigger risk is, is that all this debt that we have is tied to interest rates. And the big question is, is at what point do higher interest rates break something within the financial system and again as we've talked about before recession is one thing a credit related event is an entirely separate matter and that's what makes the difference between just a garden variety economic slowdown and a deep recession the fed's hoping for a garden variety economic slowdown The risk is we're going to have a fairly deep recession in 2023 when all of these backed interest rate hikes impact the economy at a time where the economy is already under a tremendous amount of pressure. So the point here is, is at what point does the Fed reverse course and have to reverse course very quickly? To try to bail it out. Be right back after the break.
0: Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. Let's go,
2: girls. What do women want when it comes to finances? Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for a special Ladies' Edition Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon. Get the most out of your Social Security benefits. Register now at realinvestmentadvice.com for our next Ladies' Lunch and Learn, What Women Need from Social Security, Thursday, October 20th at noon with Ratliff and Rosso, realinvestmentadvice.com.
0: The Real Investment Show.
1: So welcome back to the show, 647. Let's get ready to wrap things up. Um, So yeah, just talking here a bit about the... Issue confronting the Federal Reserve right now, of course, and um, kind of in light of what's happening. You know, the biggest risk to the markets, and again, recession fatigue aside for a moment, you know, the reality is is the biggest risk to the markets is a lack of liquidity in the Treasury market. Again, the, the Treasury market has very important aspects to the globe now you know there's there's a lot of comments about you know the U.S. is going to lose their reserve currency status and the dollar is going to zero and that's clearly not the case and not, not with the dollar surging as strong as it has this year and the reason for that is is that you have to understand, and when, when you hear people talk about how the dollar is going to go to zero and there's going to, you know, the, the, the U.S. is going to lose their reserve currency status, one thing you have to think about, and before you go hide in your bunker and buy a bunch of gold and beanie weenies and those type of things, is, is understand how the world works. Everything is a fiat currency. Okay, There is no asset-backed currency anywhere. Bitcoin isn't it. It's, a fiat, it's, it's the biggest fiat currency. And, you know, what backs the U.S. dollar is the full faith and credit of the government. Now, that's the same for every fiat currency in the world, right? The Russian ruble is backed by the full faith and credit of the Russian government. Chinese yuan is backed by the full faith and credit of the Chinese government. So, you know, Swiss franc, French franc, so forth. So. Far. Every country that issues their currency backs their currency and and what separates the ability you know for a country to support its currency is its ability to print. And this is one of the mistakes that the eurozone made by trying to create this monetary group of countries and put everybody under the euro. The advantage and, 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 you know, what they did was in this very expedited manner, they said, OK, let's put all these countries together and issue a single currency. And that was fine, except what they they failed to do was to create a constitution behind that that backed that union. So, look, the United States is the European Union in many manners, Right. So just for a moment, just think about the United States, and every state is a country, right, and not a state. And and so every every country, all 50 countries in the United States, have the ability to print their own currency. So we had the Texas dollar, which was stronger than everybody else's, obviously. Um, It was also larger because everything's bigger in Texas. So, you know, California had their currency and nobody wanted it. New York etc right so everybody had their own currency so everybody prints their own currency and then then if i want to buy something from california i have to go to california i have to trade my, my big texas buck for their little tiny california dollar and we could exchange things right and so what the government did come along they said look this is stupid right everybody's got their own currency is stupid let's put all 50 states together and we're going to create this constitution that binds these countries together and we all agree that we're going to trade under the single currency all right and we have one central bank that controls all of this and that was the attempt that the euro tried that the eurozone tried to do they tried to set up the ecb And it was going to be this monetary union, except they just never quite got the process completed. It was like, you know, yeah, we'll get to that part where we tie it all together under a single document. We all agree on everything in the future, and they never got there. And so all these countries gave up their ability to print their own currency, right? So this is now becoming problematic for these countries. So here's my point about this. When people tell you that the U.S. is going to lose their reserve currency— as a, or the U.S. will lose a reserve currency status. Step back for a moment and think about, okay, if the U.S. is no longer the reserve currency of the world, who would be? Somebody has to be. So do you trust Russia to be the reserve currency, right, the Russian ruble? Their currency is probably deep enough to handle global transactions and Russian rubles. But do you trust the government not to do something crazy? China. Eurozone is a fractured mess. Do you really trust them at this point to, to stay whole and not completely blow up at some point? You can't use countries like Africa, right? No stability in those countries. Caribbean, South America, Brazil, Mexico, okay, they all got problems. Canada. How about Canada? Problem with Canada as a reserve currency is that we could all go under the maple leaf, right? But their currency isn't near deep enough or liquid enough to handle the trillions of dollars of global transactions that occur every year. So there's literally right now nowhere else to go for a currency that is liquid and that has the full faith and credit of the United States government behind it and what's remaining of a shattered and shambled rule of law, which gives recourse to trade. Now we're doing everything we we're doing our best effort to destroy the value of our rule of law but for the moment nowhere else to go. And so the important point about this is that as we talk about the the liquidity in the markets and the Fed breaking something when other countries need to store their reserves they have to they they store them in Areas of safety, right? That's the U.S. dollar and that's the U.S. Treasury market. If the Fed breaks that liquidity of the markets to where liquidity begins to become problematic to meet demand, you have a risk of a financial event. And that's what's happening right now. Rates have risen so sharply and... Economic traction has diminished so quickly that it's creating a, lique- a, a, a contraction in the liquidity of the treasury market. And that's a huge risk to the global economy, not just to the U.S., to the global economy, to, to, and most importantly, to the financial system that is all dependent upon the liquidity and safety of U.S. treasuries. You know, We've said a long time ago that the Fed will hike rates, but they are not going to get anywhere near their target zone. Their target zone is four and a quarter to four and a half. They're not going to get close to that. If they, if they get another rate hike off this year, that will probably be surprising. So come November next month, we'll see what they do. But there's a more than substantial risk. We need to kind of mark this down. So today is October the 3rd. The risk of another rate hike is potentially that point to where something breaks. And so we'll see. We'll see what happens here. But there is a more than reasonable probability that the Fed may be very close to done. And this whole idea that they're going to taper you know, a couple of trillion dollars off their balance sheet is also a fantasy. because of the dependence upon liquidity and low interest rates in the economy. You know, and that really kind of brings us to, you know, kind of the conclusion that as we get ready to wrap up the show, that's why it's close to our conclusion. Um, Just if you weren't watching the clock. (laughs) But, you know, the risk here is, uh, is, again, you know, when you take a look at what's happening, there there are things that are already breaking in the economy in the U.K., whether it's Credit Suisse, whether it's Bank of Japan, there are already things that are breaking under the weight of higher rates. And again, the global linkages are so much more embedded today than they were previously. It is much more of a contagion risk as the Fed hikes rates. Again, you know when we talk about the Fed hiking rates, it's never about something in a vacuum. Fed hikes rates over here, and nothing happens over here. That's not the way that it works. When the Fed hikes rates over here, it impacts everything, not just in the domestic economy, but the global economy. Emerging markets are very dependent upon liquidity and stability. They are at the most risk of an exceptionally strong dollar. These are small countries that have very limited capabilities. And they are dependent upon the U.S. for a big chunk of their trade and their revenues, and that strong dollar is killing their economies. As consumption slows in the U.S., we've talked about this before, as the U.S. gets a cold, the rest of the world gets the flu because they're dependent upon the strength and stability of the U.S. Because of we have such a strong demand pull from the rest of the world, you know, China included. We buy a lot of stuff from China every year. Buy a lot of stuff from other countries. They're dependent on upon us for their economic activity. So again, when something breaks in the U.S., it's much worse everywhere else. But this is why the risk of a global contagion far outstrips the risk of a recession. All right, I wrapped up the show for today. Get by the website newsletter is out from this weekend markets are extremely oversold we're due for a bounce here use that bounce to sell into futures are pointing up this morning we'll see how far we get um, get by the website latest newsletter right there click the newsletter link make sure and subscribe to our daily market commentary that comes out at 7:30. 30 um, also our three minutes of markets and money will be up here shortly stick around more at realinvestmentadvice.com see you tomorrow